When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. James Cook wasn't a household name before. I think he probably is now. Hi there. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am Dave Hellman, and we are through another wild Sunday of NFL football week 15. It was as crazy as we expected it to be. There were wild finishes. There were perfect passer ratings. There were upsets. There were some blowouts. Some playoff spots were clenched. We will get into all of that, but We teed it up at the start of the show for a reason. No bigger place to start than the game that literally all of America saw on Fox. That would be the Buffalo Bills with another statement win, a 31-10 beating of the Dallas Cowboys on a rainy day in Western New York. And and the 31-10 scoreline doesn't even do justice to how one-sided it was. The Bills bullied the Cowboys on offense. They flummoxed them on defense, just uh, uh, an amazing performance, for lack of a better word. And who better to sum it all up than the guys who were there? A wet one in Buffalo. I'm joined now by Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Okay, y'all, I definitely want to get to James Cook. But for me, the thing that stands out is this was a Bills defense that had dealt with a lot of adversity this year. And to not just beat Dallas, but, I mean, dominate them until the game was was out of reach. What did you see from, from the Bills' defense and the way Sean McDermott called this, that, that they were able to just put a lid on the Cowboys like that? You know, they were, they were great. And, and Sean McDermott has not coached against Mike McCarthy since Mike was in Green Bay, so it's been a while. That was as good as any team has played Dallas defensively this year. Yeah, and obviously that's the tape going forward that everybody's going to study. Now, Seeing how Buffalo did it and being able to replicate that yourself, of yeah. course, is two different things. But they put a lid on it. They can rush with, fr- with four. And they're able to play a variety of different coverages. You can see the whole night, Dak just looked a little uneasy. We're so used to seeing him hit that back foot, be in rhythm, get the ball out, make plays downfield. There was no explosives. They fell behind, so they couldn't really lean on the run game at all. And all Buffalo had to do was sit those safeties back there, continue to change the looks underneath, and... They gave Dallas all they could handle. Yeah, they did. Incredible performance from them. And then, like I said, I mean, James Cook, it felt like this performance was building for the last few weeks from James Cook. But, I mean, when he breaks out like this, what does it what does it do for the Bills' offense if this is another legit guy that they can lean on the way they did today? Yeah, Dave, you know, I like that word, building, because we said during the broadcast, you know, he came into this game with four straight 100-plus yards from scrimmage games, right? And Joe Brady – 
told us this week. He's like, I even told myself. And look, you know, there's caveats, pass protection, things like that, short yards. But he said, I, I got to try to get on the ball even more. Uh, you know what? It worked. Yeah, I mean, we, we can teach the young back how to pass protect. Right? <laughs> At the end of the day, give him the ball, throw him the ball, check the ball down. I don't care how you get him the ball. When the guy has the ball, he's, we've seen he's as electric a ball carrier as we've seen this entire season, regardless of position. So I, I think, Joe, he's on to something. I think the more they give him the ball, the better things are going to be. And, man, now you got to imagine being a defense. You come in, you're always worried about Josh Allen. You're always worried about Stephon Diggs. Now all of a sudden you got to worry about this running game, this back out of the backfield. They're building something pretty good here been saying for a couple of weeks don't let the bills get hot i think it's it's too late for that they are they are officially hot what a performance y'all safe travels happy holidays appreciate it same to you appreciate dave it. see you see you bye. combined with the win against the chiefs the week before it's crazy to think what the bills have accomplished in their last two games and they're still not officially part of the afc playoff field they are still on the outside looking in Strictly speaking, if we're looking at the tiebreakers and everything, they're actually, they're only ninth in the AFC. They lose tiebreakers to Cincinnati on head-to-head. Indianapolis and Houston have them on conference wins. So there's still a lot of work for the Bills to do to even be in the playoffs. And yet, how many teams in the NFL do you feel really and truly confident about beating the Bills right now? Niners, of course. I'll give you San Francisco. They're on a roll. No problem whatsoever. Baltimore? Sure. I'll I'll give you Baltimore. The Ravens are on top of the AFC right now. It's well-deserved. But don't act like the Ravens don't have a, a tendency to play some weird, close games. Maybe they even lose a few they shouldn't. I'll give you the Ravens out of respect to what they're doing. But I'm not even 100% sure about that. Even still, that's two teams. Two teams that I definitively feel are better than the Bills after this beatdown of the Cowboys consider in this game that they so comfortably won. Their star quarterback, Josh Allen, only needed to complete seven passes. They didn't even need him to do his superhuman thing as he was joined afterward by our own Aaron Andrews after the game. Hey, Josh, you guys told me you felt rejuvenated after beating Kansas City in Kansas City last night how, or last week. How do you feel after beating Dallas? And they were coming in with a five game win streak. Uh, let James cook. <laughs> well, uh, what a game from him. What a game from our O-line. What a game from our defense. Um, you know, we were smart with the ball, took care of business at home. We just got to take it one game at a time. But uh, we're a confident team right now. We got to keep things going. James Cook basically had career highs in everything today. Why, first of all, and what did you think about the way he played? I mean, he ran the ball so hard. Our offensive line gave him holes to run through. Our guys on the perimeter blocked their tails off. Uh, and our, our receivers made plays when they had to. You know, it wasn't a wasn't a pretty passing game by all means. You talk about the weather, the, the, the rain, the wind. But when in doubt, give it to our running backs. Let's go grind out some yards. And our offensive line was up for the task today. You know what looked pretty, though? Your defense. I mean, you want to give those guys some love against this Dallas offense? Yeah, that's one of the highest flying offenses in the league. And our defense came out. They played so well. Um, you know, Coach McDermott called a heck of a game. And he had us prepared to go this week. And again, we're going to celebrate this one tonight, turn our attention to uh, next week. I, where are we going? L.A. Chargers next week, next Saturday. So uh, that'll be the only thing on our minds. I appreciate it. We had a time in Buffalo, man. Thanks. I, I hope you did. It's a great spot. I hope people can start to realize that. We had a time. Thanks, appreciate Josh. Yep. 
I got to say, it makes me a little uncomfy that Josh Allen is an all world quarterback who's also capable of making a pun as bad as let James cook. That's supposed to be my job is the bad wordplay making me feel a little threatened here, Josh, but just can't say enough about this bill's performance. And as great as they were, please don't think I'm taking credit away an equally disappointing day for the Dallas Cowboys. It's a theme for the season. We're, we're supposed to get these amazing tests of, of teams might and where they stand in the NFL hierarchy. I mean, it's a dominant performance by Buffalo, but you got to feel like it's a little bit of a no-show from the Dallas Cowboys as evidenced by Josh Allen saying afterward that he felt like he was the kid that got an A on a class project that he didn't participate in. How you lose by 21 to the Buffalo Bills without Josh Allen even really needing to put his stamp on the game. Bills go for 350 total yards on a rainy, gross day, 266 rushing yards. Cowboys, I know Jonathan Hankins is out with an ankle injury right now. Jonathan Hankins is a good player. He doesn't make the difference in you having the ball absolutely fed to you all day long. 5.4 yards per carry from the Bills. We all know about James Cook. Josh Allen had a hand in it as well. On the flip side, the Dallas offense, which was the strength of this team, averaging 40 points per game over the last month, month and a half, 193 yards on the day, 80 of them, almost half of that production, and their only touchdown came with less than 10 minutes to play in a 31-3 game, truly garbage time production. Cowboys offense, led by Dak Prescott, did absolutely nothing when the game was, was remotely in doubt. It's a testament to a Bills defense that has struggled, even holding the Chiefs to 17 points the week before. They gave up their fair share of yardage. Not the case here. They forced the Cowboys into a pass-heavy script. You can't find any semblance of balance. And even as good as Dak Prescott's been throwing the ball this year, as great as he's been on third down, I feel like he didn't have a shot. When he... <laughs> On the rare occasion he had time to get the ball off, the Bills took everything down the field away. And please don't underestimate, the guy never had time to throw. He was sacked three times, felt like he was pressured even more than that. He finishes with 134 passing yards, a second-half interception when, when it was all truly out of reach. Interception's not the reason why they lost this game. The inability to, to do anything while the score was still close is the is the culprit here. But I do think maybe Cowboy fans don't want to hear this. It was a fun ride. I think this puts an end to the MVP candidacy of Dak Prescott. Rare to see an MVP candidate lose a game in this much of a lopsided fashion, this close to the end of the season and still rebound. I guess because it is such a wide open year, it's possible. I would call it extremely unlikely. And no, you might hear this everywhere else this week, but on the NFL on Fox podcast, we're not going to dogpile on Dak. It's definitely not all his fault. He didn't play well. Certainly not all his fault. And you could go on and on about the various reasons why the Cowboys fell so short. I think about Mike McCarthy inexplicably failing to challenge an obvious fumble by Stephon Diggs that would have given the Cowboys a chance in this game. Stephon Diggs picks up a third down. Ball clearly comes out before he's on the turf. Bills do a phenomenal job of playing hurry up, getting the ball, snapping it. Mike McCarthy said they didn't have a chance to get a look at it in time. Mike, 
You had all three timeouts. You, you call timeout, challenge it, get a look at it. Refs overturn it. You get the ball in Bill's territory, down 14-3, five minutes until halftime. Even the way they move the ball, maybe nothing comes of it. It at least gives you a shot. Never happened. Penalties were a huge part of this. Unnecessary roughness on Demarcus Lawrence. Bails Josh Allen out on third down. Gives the Bills another opportunity at a game-opening touchdown. Cowboys opening possession. Unnecessary roughness flag on Zach Martin after Dak picks up an unnecessary roughness flag. That negates it. That stalls out a Cowboys drive. They punt. How about roughing the punter on Sam Williams? Negates a Bills punt. Would have given the Cowboys the ball back in a 7-0 game. Instead, the Bills go down to score, make it 14-0. Once you fall down by multiple scores, the tenor of the game changes. I mentioned Zach Martin a minute ago. It's also worth pointing out, he leaves the game early, early with a quad injury, doesn't return. Maybe it's excuse-making, but I would say losing a Hall of Fame caliber player probably plays a role in the Cowboys' complete inability to protect Dak. The Bills' defensive tackles eight all day. Edge rushers Leonard Floyd, having an incredibly underrated season for Buffalo right now, gave the guy zero time. Fortunately for the Cowboys, Zach Martin expressed confidence afterward that he should or or at least may be able to go next week. Doesn't do anything to change just how bad this was. This is exactly why I thought this was a bigger opportunity for the Cowboys than the Philly game. I said that last week. Kind of got some pushback on it. But look, winning at home against the division rival is something the Cowboys have shown they can do time and time again. Going on the road against a playoff contender that you're not familiar with playing. Cowboys haven't played the Bills in four years. Different challenge, and it looks like it. At home, Dallas, 7-0, and plus 171-point differential. On the road, they now fall to 3-4 and with a point differential of minus the last second loss in Philly is their only road loss that is anything resembling respectable. They lose by 12 to Arizona. They get dog walked by San Francisco. They now get dog walked by Buffalo. They're scoring an average of 18 points per game on the road. They're losing by an average of 18 points per game on the road. And keep in mind that average accounts for a 40 to nothing shutout of New York in the season opener. So even with a win like that, In the books, you're losing by three scores in your road games. And this loss just so happens to drop the Cowboys to a 27% chance to win their division. So some football left to play, three games. We're not going to call it a lot, but some football left to play. It's a solid bet. This team is going to have to learn how to win on the road to win anything in the postseason, let alone string together multiple postseason wins. No need to get that far ahead of myself because unlike the loss to San Francisco, the Cowboys don't have to wait long at all for a shot at redemption. They go right back on the road next week at 10 and four Miami, still a game against Detroit too. So all the opportunity in the world to put this one behind you, but, but this is why I wanted to see it. This is why I thought this was a statement opportunity. It's not the end of the season. We'll get to it later in the show. The Cowboys are officially in the postseason, so you can at least hang on to that. But man, when things go off the rails for the Cowboys, they go way, way off the rails. It's happened a couple times this season. It happens once again 
in Buffalo at just the wrong time of the season. Big win for the Bills in Buffalo, but not the biggest win of Week 15, in my opinion. That goes to the San Francisco 49ers. And no, their 45-29 win against Arizona, it's not memorable. It's not any kind of statement win, but it won them the NFC West. The 49ers are the first team in the league this season to not just clinch a playoff spot, but clinch the division and the home game that goes with it. Who better to talk about those dominant 49ers as well as maybe some other NFC West talk than our guy, Eric Williams, Fox Sports NFC West writer. All right, Eric, just like they drew it up, the Niners go to Arizona, they whoop up on the Cardinals, and they are back-to-back NFC West champs. I mean, we know they're dominant. That's what they do. So I don't know how much we take away from from this win, but to secure the division, they're in pole position for the bye what do you think are the what are the vibes around the Niners having? I guess you check this box, but obviously the the end goal is so much higher. I think anytime you you get a win in the NFL, you have to feel good about that. Um, you know, Brock Purdy returns to Arizona. You know, obviously went to Perry High School there, playing in front of a lot of people uh, that that you know he grew up. I grew up watching him. Uh, plays well, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Third time he's done that this season. I believe no other quarterback has done it or, or they have it. They've done it just once. Um, so he continues to perform uh, like an MVP uh, type quarterback. Uh, you know, um, Christian McCaffrey, uh, again, does his thing. Um, somehow Debo Samuel is not covered <laughs> out, in the, out in the flat. It just kind of walks in. Debo Samuel is pretty good. It seemed, it seemed like he wants somebody on him. Um, so overall, if you're the Niners, you, you, you feel good about getting out of there. Um, I think two things struck me, 234 yards rushing uh, for the Cardinals. Again, that was one of the things that um, the Niners struggled with when they went through their three-game losing streak earlier this year was stopping the run. So, um, you know, that's that's something that they have to clean up. And then just getting through that game healthy. You know, Brock Purdy took a hit, had to leave the game, you know, with, I believe was a head injury. Uh, Nick Bosa kind of gets caught, you know, in the back of his leg. Um, uh, and had to leave for a little bit, was able to return. Um, so just kind of a lot of, a couple guys getting dinged that are important to what they do. I think Christian McCaffrey had a knee issue as well. Uh, and so kind of like what we talked about earlier, uh, just getting to the end of the year with your main guys healthy, I think is, is gotta be at the top of Kyle Shanahan's list right now. It's, it's such, you're so right. Like the, the, the veterans on this team, like, I mean, they're so good, but I find myself like holding my breath when they get into these games where I'm like, okay, let's, we know how fun they are when everybody's healthy. Let's get to the finish line. Yeah. Okay. You, you said it yourself. So I feel comfortable going here. Those three letters MVP. And look, I mean, I think Brock Purdy's candidacy for NFL MVP. I get that it's controversial because this is such a loaded team. But you think about four more touchdowns today. Dak Prescott stumbles in Buffalo in a big way. Tyreek Hill doesn't play for Miami. And oh, by the way, the next one is a big feature game. It's Baltimore on Christmas night. Mm -hmm. The whole Mm -hmm. league's going to be watching. Yeah. If Bryce, or excuse me, if Brock Purdy goes into that game and plays well, this is starting to feel like a legitimate possibility, right? Hey, let's just go with Bryce Purdy. Maybe that makes it an MVP. <laughs> let's just change the name. <laughs> I'm thinking about the Carolina uh, Panthers, I guess. Excuse me. <laughs> but, you know, 
Yeah, you, you got to. I mean, the numbers warrant it. I mean, I, I think I, I forget who said it, but they went back in time to talk about Peyton Manning having edge and and and, and Harrison and, and and all the weapons that he had back when he was an MVP. You know, guys that are MVP performers usually have pretty good players around them. That's kind of the way the league works. So why should we penalize Purdy for going out there and making plays with all the playmakers that are surrounding him? He still has to go out there and make the throws. Um, and, and he's doing that on a consistent level. Um, so he has to be uh, in the conversation. I don't see how he cannot. Again, I mean, system quarterback, what does that mean? Um, I think in, in the way I look at it is the guy is performing at a high level within whatever system that he's he's operating in. And 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 that's all Purdy can do. So, you know, if people around the league don't don't think that's enough, then you know that that's up to them. Uh, but but certainly he's he's amongst the top performers in the league. And again, his his statistics warrant him being in that conversation. I think the detractors would probably say. Look, come on, Bryce. Uh, I, I did it again. Oh, my God, Bryce. What is wrong with me? <laughs> Brock Purdy. I'm so sorry, Brock Purdy. I think the detractors would probably say, look, Brock Purdy is, is not the best quarterback in the NFL. He's not better than Mahomes. He's not better than Josh Allen. And the thing is, I think, I think all of this stuff can be true. Because even through <clears throat> the whole length of this season, I agree with that. I think there are easily at least four or five quarterbacks if not more, that you would take over Brock Purdy. But the thing I keep saying is we have all of this data that says the 49ers offense with all these other quarterbacks has never been this good, even with all of these other stars. And so I don't mm-hmm. I don't think Brock Purdy has to be the best quarterback in the league to be that valuable to his team. So I get it. You can make a case for a lot of other guys, and maybe Brock Purdy isn't the best quarterback in the NFL. But if he pulls this off, he is a deserving winner for all of the reasons that I just said. Yeah, no doubt. And it's not a quarterback competition. It's not like we're going out there and it's the combine and we're seeing who can throw a 15 yard out better, or who can throw the deep ball better. It is about how you're performing and operating your, your offense. And if your team is winning and, and his team is, is winning along with him piling up the stats. So I think it's a combination of all those things. And, I understand that he doesn't look the part. He doesn't look like Josh Allen. But when he goes out there and performs, he performs like a a high-level quarterback uh, in the NFL, which is hard to do. So, again, you know, just give give the dude his flowers. You know, he's he's a he's a good quarterback. He's a very good quarterback, and it's not just the the receivers that are are helping him accumulate those stats. He's he's making big boy throws. I want to hit on one last thing with the Niners. You mentioned their run defense, and I, that is something to watch, especially with Baltimore coming up. But I was struck by the timing of Charvarius Ward going on Arik Armstead's podcast this week and saying, I got all the PBUs I need, but I just need a couple interceptions and, and people will start looking my way. He gets two yeah. of them against Arizona. One of them goes for a touchdown Especially, you know, the, the Niners lost Talanoa Hufunga earlier this season, but it, it seems like their secondary is really stepping up. Charvarius Ward being a big part mm-hmm. of that. What have, what have you seen from the back end of that defense here? Yeah, and watching this team closely the last couple of years, I've always had a lot of respect for, for Ward and, and how he performs and just felt like he was kind of underrated 
in terms of, you know, being up there amongst the top 10 cornerbacks in the league. And I think part of it was, like he said, he's he's got pass breakups, but he doesn't necessarily have those interceptions to kind of back up his level of play. So it was cool to see him get those, those two interceptions, one for a score, because I do feel like for this team to go where they want to go, they need to have a lockdown corner who's going to be able to kind of take away the opposing team's number one receiver. And I feel like Ward could kind of fill that role for them. Uh, the other guy that stepped up is is Brown, uh, the kid out of Penn State that's re- uh, replacing Hufunga. He's got a couple picks on the year, um, is flies to the football in the run game, and just seem like he plays with a sense of maturity that's maybe older uh, than than you know being a rookie out of Penn State. And so again, I think the Niners do a great job of developing those those mid level mid round picks uh, into guys that could come out and contribute early, and, and he certainly kind of falls in that line. 49ers win the division. 49ers clearly the favorite to advance to the Super Bowl. In my opinion, what else is new? We expected that. One thing I want to hit on, though, is the team that continues to surprise the Mm -hmm. Rams. Maybe dominance, not the right word, but the Rams had control of their win against Washington for most of the day. They're back at 500. New York Times gives them a 56% chance of making the playoffs. And in particular to me, I think, the thing that continues to stand out is is just how well Matthew Stafford continues to play this season. I think flying under the radar a little bit. What what do you make of of this Rams passing attack? It sure looks like a group that has the potential to cause some problems if they do get into the postseason. Yeah, I agree. Matthew's playing at a high level right now. The reason he's playing at a high level is because he's being protected. You know, it really starts with the offensive line for the for this uh, team. Last year, they had 14 different offensive line combinations. This year, they've had just four uh, different starting offensive line combinations. And so having that consistency and chemistry up front and, and being able to protect Stafford, I think they've given up just 20-some sacks in the, in the 14 games. You know, he's comfortable, and if he's comfortable, he can deliver the ball on time and on target, and, and he's been doing that on a consistent basis throughout the year. Along with that, Iron Williams kind of coming and giving them balance in the run game. That's really changed their offense. They're one and three when Kyron is out of the out of the the lineup and six and four when he's he's been healthy. Uh he tops 1,000 yards, you know, this season. First time a Rams running back has done that since Todd Gurley, which is kind of crazy to, to think about, to be honest. And I you know, no, Cam Akers uh, had a pretty good rookie season. I thought he was going to be the guy that was going to be, you know, leading them in terms of the running game for a long time. But, you know, he had obviously struggles with the, the head coach and they had an Achilles injury, too, which I think affected his uh, production level. Uh, they move on to Kyron uh, Williams, and he seems like he's a great fit for what Sean McVay wants out of that 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 uh, position. A hard worker that can run it and can also catch it out of the backfield and can pass block as well. So uh, he's really given that offense a, an added dimension. Absolutely one of my favorite teams to watch in the NFL this year, which is maybe weird to say about a 7-7 seven and seven team, but a ton of fun happening there at SoFi Stadium. Okay, the NFC West officially has a playoff team. They may have two, and shoot, we'll we'll keep an eye on what the Seahawks do against Philadelphia on Monday night as well. Eric Williams, so much reason to to keep it tuned to the NFC West. We'll be sure to check in with you, man. But as always, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. We've danced around it a little bit so far. Let's continue the show by giving you the full postseason picture as it stands right now. 
the playoff picture really starting to take shape now. Four teams have officially punched their ticket to the postseason, mostly in the top-heavy NFC. That's where it starts. The San Francisco 49ers, it's been six weeks since they've lost. They're rolling over everybody. They clinched their division against Arizona, 11-3, and and the vibes are immaculate in the Bay. Nothing else need be said. Philadelphia Eagles, 10-3. and They have not played yet, obviously. They've got Seattle tonight on the road. But they move back into first in the division after the Dallas loss in Buffalo. We'll see how they do against Philadelphia. Interesting vibes. Jalen Hurts takes his own flight to avoid getting anybody else sick with the illness he's dealing with. Matt Patricia will replace Sean Desai as the Eagles' defensive play caller. A lot of interesting stuff going on in Philly, but they do clinch a playoff berth without having to do anything on Sunday Jalen Hurts becomes the first Philly quarterback since Donovan McNabb to lead the Eagles to the playoffs in three consecutive seasons. Not too shabby for a team that's technically on a losing streak right now. Cowboys, as I mentioned earlier in the show, they got into the playoffs without having to do anything. Before the ball even got kicked in Buffalo, they clinched a third straight postseason berth by virtue of a Detroit win against Denver on Saturday night and then losses by Green Bay and Atlanta on Sunday afternoon. Nice to have it taken care of. You don't have to stress about it for another week, but I have a feeling the excitement of that playoff berth wore off about midway through the first quarter against the Bills. I think Dak Prescott said after the game, I don't care about that. I don't blame you, given the way things went, Dak. Then, in the nightcap, the one AFC team to clinch their trip to the playoffs, that would be the Baltimore Ravens. They sit atop the AFC standings. A dominant win in Jacksonville, 23-7 over the Jags. The AFC North, mathematically up for grabs, but Baltimore is officially into the playoffs for the fifth time in Lamar Jackson's six seasons. So let's do some basic math here. 14 spots in the tournament. Four of them have been claimed. Now remember, six teams have officially been eliminated. Four of those happened on Sunday. The Cardinals, Commanders, Jets, and Titans join the Panthers and Patriots who have been eliminated for a little while already. That's six teams that can officially begin their draft prep. Start watching those college guys, everybody. How's this for our Fox Fact of the Week, by the way? The Jets, with a 30 to nothing loss to Miami, ensure their 13th straight season without a playoff trip. That's the longest postseason drought in North American sports. All right, stick with me on the math. If four teams have made the playoffs and six teams have been eliminated, that means 22 teams are mathematically still eligible for 10 remaining playoff spots. And honestly, even if you want to eliminate the long shots, there's still 16 teams that have at least a 20% chance to make the postseason with three games left. What What a fitting time for week 16 to fall on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Going to play some football with some playoff possibilities and see who has their postseason wish list granted on Christmas week. I can't wait. I just mentioned that the NFC was looking top-heavy, and I meant it. Go Go ahead and take a look at it. Obviously, there's nothing left to be said about the Niners. We know how dominant they are, but even outside of that, You realize only four teams in the NFC right now even have a winning record? Weird but true. 
Now flip to the AFC, which is what I want to focus on next, and you'll see utter madness. Nine teams with a winning record as we sit here right now on Monday. And even the the four division races, maybe not looking wide open, but looking a hell of a lot less predictable than their counterparts on the other side. Yes, the Ravens have a firm handle on the AFC North, but the best wildcard team in the conference, the Cleveland Browns, is right behind them. Kansas City seems safe, but they had their fair share of struggles on Sunday, which I'll get to in a minute. Miami can't feel comfortable with what's going on in Buffalo right now. And the Jacksonville Jaguars are now just one of three eight, eight and six teams in the AFC South. Mere tiebreakers keeping the Jags in first place in that division. It's chaos. And for me, nothing represents that better than, like I said, the reigning champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, who even with a trip up to Foxborough to play lowly New England, had their share fair of struggles. And we'll keep saying it. The Chiefs have earned the benefit of the doubt, but they continue to play the dumbest games. They win 27-17 in New England. I guess that's all that matters. But the same problems that have plagued them week after week, including last week, happened all over again. The most egregious, another Kadarius Tony bobble that led to another Patrick Mahomes interception. But there was a Rasheed Rice fumble There was a near fumble by Sky Moore that got bailed out by a flag. There was a contested throw to Blake Bell that led to another Patrick Mahomes interception. Ironically, the best thing about the Chiefs passing game on Sunday was their running backs. The duo of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jarek McKinnon replacing Isaiah Pacheco combined for 87 yards and three touchdowns in the passing game on an otherwise very bumpy day. So that's where I want to start. I'm joined now by Joe Davis and Moose Johnson, our guys who were on the call in New England, to talk about the continued struggles with the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, y'all, look, I mean, with the way things continue to go for these Kansas City receivers, do you think maybe the answer is to keep finding ways to get these running backs involved in the passing game? At least it looked like that was working. Yeah, a lot of the same stuff that plagued them all season plagued them again today, but bottom line, they get a 27-17 win. I think the big thing is uh, you've got to work yourself through this this situation where they're having the drops. It's, it's guys that, that not traditionally had drops. Right. It's usually something that's pretty correctable. It's just a lack of concentration, and, and I'm not sure why it continues to raise its head with them. I mean, sometimes you focus on something so much you make it worse. Mm. But, I mean, you, you can't expect Clyde Edwards-Alaire to have 60 yards of green grass in front of him. It's a great catch for the touchdown. But they've got some things they got to work on, and it's not just the receivers dropping passes. It's also the protection off the edges. I think that that's another area where there has to be a little bit of concern. So this team won the game today. Kansas City won the game. But they really, in my opinion, didn't take huge strides mm. into building that confidence t- towards the end of the regular season. Y'all mentioned this at the very end of the broadcast. I think all of the talk about the Patriots the rest of the way is going to be the speculation about Bill Belichick's future. With that in mind, A, how, how does this team block that out and, and, and what can they hope to, to accomplish and, and build on these last three weeks? 
Well, they've been hearing it for the better part of the season. They've been hearing about tanking. And, I mean, to their look, it's it's still not pretty. But to their credit, they continue to be in just about every game. Yeah, at, at halftime, this was a game. Yeah. It was really what happened in the first half. Kansas City gets a touchdown. They come out and outscore them 13 nothing in the third quarter. So it just it starts to separate. Yeah. Uh, it, this is a team that, to Joe's point, I, it, when you're having a year like New England's having, you're going to have to deal with the tanking questions, which is ridiculous. You know, these are professional football players. They're wired to win. They're never going to tank for draft opportunities. So uh, it, it, it's just one of those silly things that we hear from time to time. Uh, I, I think the biggest question is just what, what does this organization do moving forward? That, that's going to be the hot topic of conversation. Uh, you know, but down the stretch, I expect this team to be in every game. I expect to watch Bailey Zappi grow and mature and develop. And hopefully some of these, these young wide receivers do the same. They've got some issues in the offensive line. It's going to make it challenging. So it's probably not going to be a great finish for New England, but they're going to give you everything they have every week. Not what I would call a pretty win for the Chiefs, but they all count the same in the standings. Guys, I appreciate the time. Hi, Dave. I'm probably not giving the Ravens enough credit for the day they had. It's not just that they locked up a playoff spot. The box score doesn't do justice to the win they had in Jacksonville on Sunday night. 171 yards with a touchdown and a pick isn't going to inspire MVP talks about Lamar Jackson, at least not if you're stat watching. Go watch this game back if you didn't, or even if you did, go watch these replays. Vintage Lamar Jackson, the way he was able to evade pressure, some of the throws he made, extending plays, buying time, finding guys downfield, Isaiah Likely, the backup tight end, showing maybe he can step up and be a replacement for Mark Andrews, as we've wondered about over the last few weeks. Oh, and by the way, Lamar Jackson throwing in 97 yards on the ground. 23-7 to says it was a a yucky day, And, and I'm sure the Ravens think they could have played better. But this is a complete team and a team that's going to be a tough out. I thought it was incredibly impressive that from the time the Jags bungled the pre-half sequence, should have at least gotten some points right before halftime, questionable clock management by Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. But from that point on, second half was all Ravens, a dominant win and deserving of being on top of the AFC standings. Similar to the Miami Dolphins, who without Tyreek Hill, we don't even need to say a whole lot about them. 30 to nothing over the Jets. Jalen Waddle breaks out in a way that we've rarely seen so far this season. And the Dolphins' pass rush, maybe not to overreact, because we know that the Jets' offensive line has been a mess for most of the season, but Bradley Chubb, sacks on sacks, reminding people he's pretty damn good at this thing. Zach Sealer with another big fumble recovery. I can't wait to see how the Dolphins finish this season. Some big, big games left on their schedule. But the Dolphins and Ravens deserving their fair share of praise for, for locking this thing down on the AFC. One thing worth noting, I mentioned the Jags just barely hanging on to first place in the AFC South. Doug Peterson saying after the loss to Baltimore that Trevor Lawrence will be evaluated for a concussion. Something didn't really see the cause of that during the game on Sunday night, but the guy was already dealing with an ankle injury. The Jags are already in dire straits, three straight losses. Interesting to see how they rebound three teams in play for the AFC South lead three weeks to play. Let me take a moment to offer up some apologies to all my people in the dog pound because we've done a lot of the show 
without mentioning the craziest thing that happened on Sunday, which took place in Cleveland when a, a Browns comeback nearly became a Bears miracle. Yeah, we had a Hail Mary in week 15. And rather than rather than spend too many words trying to s- describe it, let me just let me let my guy Kevin Kugler take you away with the call. Fields. Chased by Garrett flushed. Looking. Sets up. Throwing deep. Hail Mary. End zone. Deflected. Oh. Tipped and intercepted. Almost caught. And then a deflection into the hands of DeAnthony Bell. Darnell Mooney, achingly close to a game winner. And instead, the Browns survive 20 to 17. And Cleveland moves to 9 and 5. Mooney had it. Mooney had it on the ground. Okay, now that we've covered the last minute fireworks in Cleveland, I think we can move on to a larger conversation. It's not a beautiful win for the Browns, but it's a very important one for a very specific reason. Regardless of what happens next, it assures the Cleveland Browns a winning record. Now, for other franchises, maybe that's not a huge deal. But for Cleveland, fourth winning season for the Browns since football returned to that city all the way back in 1999. Obviously, they they got to get the playoff spot for this to be a truly happy ending, but it would just be their third playoff appearance in that time span at the exact same time on Saturday night, the Detroit lions rolled the Denver Broncos. Jared Goff threw for five touchdowns. Sam Laporta caught three of them. The lions won 42 to 17, 25 point beat down at Ford field. They looked nothing like the team that had been struggling for the better part of a month. And it, it it's, it's fun to mention for me, at least It's the Browns and the Lions, two of the oldest franchises in the NFL, two of the longest championship droughts in all of sports, the longest in the NFL, two proud franchises, two football crazy cities that have famously never enjoyed that level of success. Neither team has ever even appeared in a Super Bowl, let alone won one. And I'm not trying to tell you that either team will. But being this relevant can't be taken for granted in either city. And it damn sure can't be taken for granted that it's happening for both cities at the same time. This is officially the first time since 1994 that the Browns and Lions are assured a winning record in the same season. No, that doesn't count for a whole lot. We're not going to hang banners for it, but... It's a sign of progress for two franchises that have been in the wilderness for a long, long time. In these two cities, I think it's something worth celebrating. Maybe we can revisit that if they fall apart, but I don't think they will. Not this close to the end goal. The Lions can clinch a playoff spot tonight if the Seahawks lose to Philadelphia. The Browns have a little bit more work to do, but they have a very, very strong likelihood of being in the playoffs as the AFC's number five seed. Little victories, man. Enjoy the fun of the season. It's been a long, long time since these teams were relevant in January. Been a long, long, long time since they did it in the same season. I don't know. I guess I just think that's fun. One last thing to get to coming out of Sunday, and that's our weekly coaching spotlight. You know the drill. Every week, we like to highlight a coaching performance, a decision, a moment 
that highlighted good coaching in the NFL. Today's coaching spotlight is brought to you by Verizon. It's the official private wireless network of the NFL's coach-to-coach communication. And we are going to spotlight a game I honestly wasn't sure we would touch. That would be the Carolina Panthers hosting the Atlanta Falcons in a disgusting rainstorm in Charlotte. The NFL's worst team against the sub-500 Falcons team. Not a whole lot to talk about, right? Until the Panthers spring the upset and get interim head coach Chris Tabor his first career win. He had been the special teams coordinator. Frank Reich is fired a few weeks ago. And the Panthers upset the Atlanta Falcons to get Chris Tabor his big win, their second win of the season. That's a feel-good story all on its own. Panthers were home underdogs. They never win. They get the win. Cool, cool, cool. That's all well and good. But what I loved the most about this was the way the Panthers finished this game against Atlanta, which was that they simply refused to give the ball back to the Falcons. That's impressive enough if you're talking about a two-minute drive, a four-minute drive. No, 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 no. Carolina Panthers held the ball for the final seven and a half minutes of this game. Desmond Ritter throws a mind-numbing interception in the red zone. Panthers start on their own five-yard line, and they just went. Let's give credit to the whole drive. Seven and a half minutes. The Panthers drove 90 yards. They did get five from a penalty. If you watched them at all this season, you know Carolina driving 90 yards 17 plays. That in and of itself is amazing. They converted three big third downs. Bryce Young looked like a number one overall pick. He goes five for five for 68 on the drive to get them into scoring position. But the thing that made me want to highlight it for Chris Tabor was what they did after they converted that final third down. They get into Atlanta's red zone. Falcons are calling timeouts, trying to stop the clock. Panthers pick up a crucial third down inside the Atlanta 10-yard line. Minute 43 still to play. Falcons stop the clock at least once. Panthers pick up the third down. You're right there. You get to the two-yard line. You could go for the touchdown. Nobody would truly blame you. This has been a season from hell. Bryce Young hasn't had a whole lot to celebrate. This offense hasn't scored a whole lot of points. They didn't score a touchdown in this game, by the way. But what do they do? They kneel the ball. They say, no, to hell with the touchdown, to hell with the stats. Maybe it's safer to score. You're down seven to six. You score a touchdown. Yeah, you have to play some defense to prevent the tie or potentially the loss, depending on the two-point conversion. Maybe it's safer. Just get into the end zone. Don't put the game on a kicker. No way. Not with a chance to get your second win. You kneel the ball. You run the clock all the way down. They didn't even run it down to like some time. Like the announcers even said on the game, they're like, you know, usually you see an offense run it down to three or four seconds and kick. No, Chris Tabor ran it all the way down to one second. This was going to be the last play of the game. Atlanta's not touching this ball. We win or we lose, but this is the last play of the game. And of course, it's a gimme field goal. It goes through the uprights. That's what you do with a bad football team. You remove the doubt. You remove the variables. If we score this touchdown, maybe Atlanta gets the ball back with a minute, 40 seconds, whatever, 
to try to go and, and tie the game or win the game, keep their playoff hopes intact, stay atop the NFC South race, stay in contention with Tampa Bay. Don't give them the chance. Run that clock all the way down. It's a little thing. Maybe it seems obvious, but so many coaches would go for the safe play call, which is the touchdown. Chris Tabor put it on the special teams. He is the special teams coordinator after all. And they get the win at the buzzer, holding the ball for seven and a half minutes to end the game. You don't see that very often. Incredibly impressive stuff from everybody involved. And I have a feeling that's why... When Christina Pink caught up with Bryce Young on this disgusting day in Charlotte, not only was he happy for himself and his offense, but he was incredibly happy for his interim head coach. Well, not the finest of conditions out here today, but boy, the poise you showed on that last drive, going five for five to lead your team to the go-ahead field goal. Just tell me what was going through your mind during that possession. Yeah, um, you know, we, we knew it was going to be a rough game. We knew the elements were going to play a part in it. Uh, but, you know, we all we all rely on each other, trust each other. Uh, that last drive, uh, you know, we, we were on the sideline, and we all had faith. We all had belief. Um, and I'm super grateful for the guys around me, for TB uh, dialing it up. And, uh, you know, we all executed and stepped up. So, uh, you know, it, it's a true blessing. Listen, some adversity in this game, some adversity for you throughout the season. You get your second win. You also get Chris Tabor, his first career win as an interim head coach. Just tell me what it meant for you guys to get this done for him. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it meant a ton for us. Um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot going on this year, and, uh, you know, Coach Tate stepping up. Uh, you know, it's not the easiest thing to do, but he's, he's brought the same energy, same juice he's always brought. Um, he's done a great job motivating us, pushing us to be the best we can be day in and day out. Uh, so we definitely want to get it done for him. All right, congrats on the link, right? Thank you. The bar is incredibly, incredibly low when we're talking about the Carolina Panthers. They didn't score a touchdown. It's just their second win of the year. They're still sitting first in the NFL draft order. It's a forgettable season, but I'm happy for Bryce Young for the number one overall pick. Give them a moment. Drive was impressive. Panthers get their second win. And hey, a big blow to their division rivals playoff hopes. You love it all around for the Panthers. You love it for Chris Tabor. And that's why it's our coaching spotlight for week 15. Before we get you out of here, it wouldn't be the show before we do our weekly sit down with none other than Jay Glazer. Another edition of Ask Glazer coming your way. An especially timely one with the Eagles playing on Monday night tonight. Felt like a good time to get Jay's thoughts on the news that he broke on Sunday morning. Talked all things about Jalen Hurts' illness, trying to get over that in time to play against the Seahawks. Not to mention the coaching shuffle in Philadelphia. Matt Patricia taking over as the defensive play caller on Monday night for Sean Desai. Interesting stuff happening with the Eagles. Jay had all the scoop on that. Not to mention coaching rumors. All the good stuff. Check it out. Welcome back for our favorite segment of the week. It's nothing but Ask Glazer. What's going on? NFL on Fox Insider. Jay Glazer. Um, you know, I'm glad you actually named the show Ask Glazer because it'd be weird if it was like Ask Strahan or Ask Jones or Long or, or Shapiro or Murphy or somebody and I'm sitting here. You make the so trip. You, you make the trip up you, to our studio. You get the segment. Yeah, it's good. You get the segment. Good. Happy holidays. Man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Let's get right into it. Where else would we start? Where else would we start? I don't know. Where are we starting? Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Wants to know, hey, Jay, is Aaron Rodgers really medically cleared to play? And do you really think he will suit up? Okay. Especially Jets lose in yeah. week 15. I mean, where, where, where do we see this going? So here's the deal. Aaron will be medically cleared. And that doesn't mean he's going to be 
he's back to being the same old Aaron Rodgers where he could just sprint out. And you know, if he were to play, they design plays where he's in the pocket. He's probably going to throw the ball away quicker than he normally would want to because he does like extend plays. Um, but from what they saw of him, they were kind of wowed in some of the stuff he was doing in practice. Now, here's the other big part of this. This decision isn't just Aaron's. It's just not the head coach's. I know they're all going to come together. Aaron, the head coach, the general manager, and the owner, Woody Johnson. Yep. He's going to have a huge say in this. He's got to write the checks. He's going to have a very big say in this of what happens. And obviously, look, you just saw, you know, the, the Jets, how they were against Miami. And you go, oh, man, we don't want to put a guy like Aaron Rodgers right. behind that offensive line and, you know, have him get hurt again. But I think in Aaron's mind, I think Aaron's probably, and I haven't talked about this, but he's probably gone back and forth of um, even if, they didn't, weren't in playoff contention just to show the world he came back a month faster than anybody else has ever done it. I mean, if it was me, regardless if it was playoff or not, I'd probably want to show the world. Yeah, I did something no, nobody else has ever done. And just to show I, I pushed myself to this point where I could do it. Now, again, it's not just up, going to be up to Aaron. Um, do I think Aaron will push to play regardless? He probably would. Uh, but I think the decision is going to be – like I said, it's going to be a collective decision. I get that for, for a franchise quarterback. Yeah. I, and, and, and I think they expect him to be there next year. I think his yeah. mindset is, yeah. you know, well, the last couple of years it's been, well, is he going to retire or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think going in this whole thing, he's figuring that he'll be here next year and they want to make sure they protect their, their commodity for next year as well. Wouldn't say the Jets have been must-see TV for the last few weeks, but I will, I've got a close eye on it. Yeah, I mean, of course. hey, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch, see what happens. Next question. You had some wonderful scoopage on Sunday morning about the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm -hmm. Matt Patricia's calling the defense yep. heading into Monday night. Jalen Hurts is, is making his own travel arrangements because <laughs> he's own sick. I mean, he's, he's yeah. that sick. How, how worried should okay. Eagles fans be about what's going well, on? With let's those? first talk about the Matt Patricia thing. Yeah. Matt Patricia's now he's the play call. It's his defense. They're not changing the titles. I don't think of uh, Sean Desai and, and uh, Matt Patricia. Mm -hmm. But that's just semantics. Doesn't matter. It's no longer Sean Desai's. It's Matt Patricia's. He's the guy. Sean Desai's been reassigned to do other things for the organization and you know projects and whatnot. For um, I, I think there's still you know whatever the head coach needs and probably Matt Patricia may need for for defense. But this is a change in defense. Matt Patricia is now running the show there on the defensive side of the ball. And look, they've given up you know over 100 points in the last three weeks and you know, 1,355 yards in the last three weeks. So I totally understand it. Um, now, as far as Jalen's concerned, Jalen took his own plane, or not his plane, but a different plane, because um, he wasn't feeling sick. I want to make sure that if he just didn't want to spread it to anybody else. So it kind of being safer than sorry that it doesn't go to anybody else in the team. I, as of right now, they think he's going to go. Um, look, we've seen Jalen Hurts play through an awful lot of stuff. I don't see you know, him, him uh, being sick, keeping him out. He's on the list of guys I would yeah. not bet against. All right, the Chiefs get a win in New England on Sunday. Still looks kind of iffy with their receiver situation. Yeah. Scott just wants to know, I mean, how how worried should people be yeah. about the Chiefs? I mean, it, they keep waiting for them to turn it on, and it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, you know, how he said in the show last week is pretty smart. Pretty, like, I remember him saying it like, oh, yeah. It's kind of look really what they look like was it's almost like, yeah, we're fine. We'll get in the playoffs. Don't worry about it, and then we'll turn it on. And almost like that's how they're kind of playing. Um but look, penalties have killed them. Um, to take away that one from Kadaris Tony two weeks ago, the penalties have killed them. Drops from the receivers have killed them. Kadaris Tony had another big one today also. So it's, I think it's, I, I know it's frustrating for Patrick Mahone, frustrating for Andy Reid. 
but it is Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. You just think playoff time comes, they'll figure out a way to turn it on and just to to, to mess together. And it, it, until they show me otherwise, man, I'm going to believe that's what they do. As soon as I write them off, that's when I'm right. going to be watching them make fun of me for writing them right, off right, after right. they win another game. Yeah, I don't write those guys off. Goes. Okay. Chargers job mm-hmm. officially open. Something that's been speculated a lot, but it is it's it's done now. Who are some likely candidates for that job here well, in LA? Here, first of all, that's like the place everybody wants to go to. GMs, head coaches. Even last year when they thought it looked like Brandon Staley, you know, was on the hot seat. I was getting called from a ton of guys hoping, hey, is that job gonna open up? Man, I would love to see even like current head coaches, see if they can get out to go there. First of all, they're opening up a great new practice facility right down here on the beach, you know, near the beach over here in, in LA, um, which is going to be amazing. But you got that quarterback and Justin Herbert, and that's the biggest thing. You know, one of the biggest things head coaches look for and go to a place is quarterback situation. And you have one of the top five in the league sitting right there. So it's a great, great job. Now, you know, as far as where do they go, I think a lot of, I think they need to build the culture. I, you know, they still may go, hey, we need an offensive guy to work with the quarterback. And, you know, a guy like Ben Johnson, who's the, you know, the, the coordinator from the Detroit Lions, who's just done a phenomenal job, would fit perfectly in a place like that. But culture builders, I think, is what they really need there. Um, but it is a, man, it's a great opening f- as far as coaches and, and GMs look at it. Quarterback is always going to make a job appealing. All right, this, this ties in beautifully because the next question this is the third straight year we've done this. Dan Quinn, right. Cowboys, D.C. It could be Chargers. It could be otherwise. But do you see this being the year that Dan Quinn finally yeah. takes that leap? Here's the thing. Again. A lot of people don't know this. Dan Quinn was favored to get the Denver Broncos job two years ago. Mm-hmm. And he interviewed, I think it was the day after Dallas lost to San Francisco, I think it was, in the playoffs. And he went in there and he was just in the tank. And, you know, that was a, a hard loss for them. So he just wasn't himself. And they pulled off him and went to Nathaniel Hackett. So now, as a result, I think they changed the rule last year. And one of them, somebody said to me, I don't know if it's called the Dan Quinn rule. Somebody called it the Dan Quinn rule of now they have to wait a few, I think, three days after your last game to actually interview. Um, but, yeah, Dan Quinn is every team I've talked to and every executive, um, when you're talking about lists, mm. Dan Quinn is you know one or two on everybody's list. And, yeah, he, he's... He is, you want to be talking about a guy who's going to build the culture and he's a teacher. There's, there's a lot of play callers out there. There's not as many teachers left in this league right now. He's a teacher. He's a motivator. He's a culture builder. Uh, yeah, Dan Quinn will get one of these jobs. Keeping Dan for not just one, but two years is one of the more impressive things Jerry Jones has no done doubt. in the last few years. We'll see where it I'm goes. Mike McCarthy, both of them. Yeah, ah, absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. We will see where it all goes. It's that time of year. This stuff's going to start ramping up. Jay Glazer, we always appreciate it. it, We'll see you next week. Thank you, man. All right, that does it for the Sunday recap for week 15, but not to worry. We got plenty more coming your way. As we've already said, big Monday nighter, Eagles at Seahawks. So much at stake there. Obviously, the Seahawks fighting for their playoff lives. The Eagles have NFC seeding at stake. The Lions have a close eye on it. A Seattle loss would put them into the playoffs. Plenty of reasons to be excited for that one. We will have all of the news, injury updates coming out of Monday. We'll get into the power rankings. You know the drill. No days off in the NFL or on the NFL on Fox podcast. Until then, please go find us on Spotify. Go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We have a YouTube channel, did I mention? Subscribe to that wherever you get 
your NFL news, your podcasts. You can find us there. We will be back on Tuesday. I will catch you all then.